I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. <laughs> this is Dead, Dead Time Stories. A weekly podcast where Sarah and I get together to talk about ghost stories, true crime, mysteries, cults, conspiracies, the supernatural, paranormal, or even just the generally weird, eerie, spooky, strange stuff that we want to talk about that week. Oh, why is that, Sarah? Because it's our show and not, not yours. yours. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, stop. You better stop. You better stop. You better stop. Go back. Go back Start to the beginning. the beginning. Episode one, Grumblethorpe to my mouth a little bit. Just a little bit. I know it's over 200 episodes ago and four years of our lives. You're welcome. But you're you, welcome. That's right. You're welcome. For and all the content. You need to come along on this motherfucking journey with us. It's been a, you know, a wild ride full of a pandemic full of a pandemic the first episode we couldn't remember the word quarantine and then the rest of the show it was a we were in a quarantine so come with us on the journey it's wild it's been fun sarah what are you up to this week what's going on hopefully uh sleeping a whole lot and just being a hermit because honest to god my social battery is deranged yeah we talked about that before we started recording today we were like oh so tie tie yeah socially tie tie yeah environmentally tie tie yeah. consciously tie tie yes so sleepy just pad tie tie pad tie tie just done we are gonna go do yoga at eastern state penitentiary oh my god that's gonna be so much this fun. friday uh if you live in philly well actually it's last friday so we already did it oh you're absolutely right this past friday we did it today <laughs> the time when this tonight is we're up. having dinner at my house Yes, the yes! time this episode comes out, you're absolutely right. Tonight we're getting together for dinner at your house. So this week I'm cleaning my house to get ready for to have you and Val over. Mm. <laughs> um, this week I will be seeing Blythe Spirit Ooh. at Walnut Street Theater, Beh. and then hopefully, possibly, maybe going to Atlantic City. Whoa! Yeah. Why? Um, Val's bio dad. And huh. his girlfriend are going to Atlantic City that weekend, and they invited us. Cute. Um, you going to a casino? I don't know. Have I ever talked to you about my fear of gambling? Have you never been? No. I have never been to a casino. I have never gambled beyond, like, college poker night for 20 oh, bucks with wow. friends. It's fun. It terrifies me. You're afraid you're going to spend too much. I'm afraid I'm hooked. Of, yes. Absolutely. I am the kind of per- I love doing stuff just for the rush. Yeah. I'm absolutely that person and I could see me getting like really into it and like just the stories I've heard about people losing so much money, like losing their home, losing their life savings, like lo- going into debt to gamble. Here's my advice. Terrifies me. Everybody has advice and a rule that they tell themselves, but go ahead. Yep, that's exactly and, and that's, Teresa has been like there's a rule I tell myself. I will say I have never lost more than I said I was going to go in there and just spend for my mm-hmm. budget. But I have walked out making $300. So <laughs> I go in with a, but I pull out cash before I go in because I'm not paying the surcharge on their ATMs. Mm-hmm. 
I pull out cash. I set my budget. When that cash is gone, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm done gambling. I'm so scared. So I'm like, I've always, I, like, on the one hand, like, I've always wanted to, and on the other hand, I've always been like, it's not worth it. It's literally just losing money for the fun of it. It is. So that's why you go in with your budget, and you're like, this is my fun money. Oh, I'm getting anxious just and thinking I'm ready, about it. I'm ready to spend this money, but when this money is done, I'm done. And then I play the slots. Yeah. I Teresa told slots. me to do slots. Teresa told me she does, like, penny slots penny nickel slots. slots. Nickel yeah. slots. Quarter slots are fun, because it's bigger winnings. But, but it's bigger losses too, girl. It is. Quarters but, add up. But if you go in with a budget, you know I, I'm going in with sixty dollars. No matter what, I'm spending sixty dollars today. Period. Done. I'm. That's in my head. The drinks are free, right? Because they want you to spend more money on gambling. Oh no. No. Okay. No. 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 The drinks depends are on where it is. I guess I, it depends on if you like have a room. Mm. So if you have a room, I think you can get some kind of. A, Inclusive right. I'm like, thing. I think we're staying at a place with a casino. Then maybe. <laughs> I might get some free drinks. Then that might be But it. the idea is that but you then careful. lose your inhibitions yes. and you're like, fuck, I get throw another This $20. is so much fun. I pull out another $20. Yeah, yeah. man. <sighs> when you, the first time I went to a casino was when I like, I played the Walking Dead slots. <laughs> and they treated me well. And I won like $260. And, and how I, much did you go in with? How much did you go in to 60. play with? 60? 60. But I hadn't even spent all of that yet. I only spent like maybe 20 or th- 20. Won that 250, cashed out, went to the club. I was done. Now, I probably turned around and spent $80 on drinks in the club. <laughs> but you won that $80. Yes. <laughs> so that's my... And then the second time that I went to a casino recently, I went in with $60 I spent the sixty dollars. I didn't. I made enough to play a little more, and then I was done. And I walked out, and I said, "I'm done," because I'm not going to spend any more money, because I, it's not in the budget. And then I left. Yeah, I've yeah. So that's never, my advice. Is I'm like set a budget. No, that's always got to spend that, was that what much. Teresa said yeah, and she was like, "And just do the slots. Just do the penny just slots. Just do the girl. slots. The, you'll spend more time there. They are more fun, and." I don't know how the card games work. So see, and I'm, that was my thing was, I was like, I know how to play some card games. I'm good with blackjack. I'm pretty good with, I've gotten better with poker, but I've also been like, I don't need to learn how to be better, but I don't need an excuse <laughs> to be like, I know how to play poker. Let's play no, for money. <laughs> no. Let's play for car titles. But no. there was uh, the most, yeah. Like the most I really gambled was there was like a group of us in college who like, very informally, not very often at all, would get together and play poker. And the last poker night I went to, it was a $20 buy-in, which is not much, but there were maybe six people. Mm-hmm. What's 20 times six? It's like $240. 20 times six, 120. 120, you're right. Yeah. What am I thinking? You're good. Um, anyway, so... <laughs> There were, yeah, like six people playing, $20 a person. Uh, and they got down to me and one other person. Like that was the last hand. Ooh. It was me and one other person. And I had four kings. And I was like, there's no way he's beating my four kings. Uh-oh. There's no fucking way unless he has three aces in his hand because there was an ace on the table because it was Texas Hold'em. <laughs> there's different styles of poker. Um, and I was like, there's no fucking way he's he's holding that. And then... Yeah, flipped it, and that son of a bitch had four aces, God and he it. beat me. 
And even though I only really lost twenty dollars, really felt and truly, like you lost it felt like I lost one hundred twenty dollars. Yeah. And like just the like, just the feeling, the like gross feeling in my body and my soul of losing money on absolutely nothing. That's where you just walk away to just play money to just play with money. I was like, I I can't ever experience this on a grander scale. I'm not rich enough. For <laughs> I would this. not be able to handle this on a on a larger scale. Yeah, play the slots and get the drinks because it's fun. Up to that point, up to yep. that point, I was having a great time. I was riding the high. I was ha- I was like, all right, let's go next hand. I, oh yeah, I'm putting twenty. Let's go. Let's uh, put in my chips. Let's go. Deal me in, coach. <sighs> Man, that's what they say, right? Deal, Deal me, me in, coach. coach. <laughs> yeah, that's what you call the guy who hands out the cards, right? He's the coach. <laughs> coach. <laughs> He's a professional poker coach. But yeah, so uh maybe be fun. maybe this weekend after our dinner together this evening. You'll tomorrow I'm going to Blythe Spirit at the Walnut Street Theater and then Saturday and Sunday I'll be in Atlantic City spending money. <sighs> <laughs> so, we're on Patreon. You can support us by giving us your money. Give us, yeah, give us your money to support our dreams. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, we live in a capitalistic society. I mean, yeah. I hate it. But you know what? We are artists and we're trying to do the work that we love. And if you want to support the artists that you love, you should give them money to do the work that you like them doing so that they can keep doing it. People like us. Yes, please. Give yes, us please. your money. That's it, man. Hey, Sarah. I'm Stephanie. Oh, what? She's going to be like. <laughs> That's Thanks it, man. for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs> hey, Sarah. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, Leslie. Y'all, Y'all ready, ready to talk about some ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Sarah, what are you talking about this week? Well, first, is there another ghost? I have another promo. You're doing it pre-stories. I am. I figure, you know what? Let's just throw it in there. Let's mix it the fuck up. I love to mix it up. And, you know, we're trying to do more promos. We're trying to do more outreach. We're trying to get more listeners because we're trying to get more money. Money. So we will be having. Absolutely. And these are us supporting other podcasts, other indie podcasts. So. We highly recommend you go support them as well. And if then you have also, the time, you know, write them a five-star review. Write them a good review. And then review. write us a five-star review and switch emails and do it again. Yes, exactly. And then get on Patreon, click that $1 a month pledge tier, and be our best friends. But before then, I want to give a shout out. Our promo for the week this week is a podcast called A Nefarious Nightmare Podcast. A Nefarious Nightmare Podcast. And it's Courtney and Amanda, and they're based in Texas, actually. I love it. Check them out. Hey, I'm Courtney. And I'm Amanda. And this is A Nefarious Nightmare. We cover true crime and the paranormal. We raise awareness about the senseless acts committed against victims. We won't go easy on the offenders, but show serious empathy to the victims. And sometimes we dive into some weird topics outside of true crime, like the paranormal or even conspiracy theories. Our listeners are definitely the best, and we are their biggest fans. So join us. Come on in. All are welcome. Let's dive into these cases. You can find us on any podcast platform and on YouTube. Be sure to find us, hit subscribe, and share us with your friends. We do have great life advice, such as don't be a Richard. Yes, (laughs) and wear deodorant. We don't want to smell you. But all are welcome to a nefarious nightmare. 
Uh, oh, we're picking that back I up again. I haven't done that in a long time. You sure haven't, because you've noticed I've been cutting you off. Um, well, also we haven't had a lot of promos to do in a we long haven't. time. We haven't. So mean, fuck you. I've been lazy, but you know, I had a manic moment like a few months ago, and then built all these up. So hopefully that'll lead me through Great. this current. And you're gonna give me more opportunities episode. then to go. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this week. I'm Sarah. <laughs> I'm Leslie, and this has been Stephanie. <laughs> I was listening to a hello, like an old hello from the Magic Tavern episode because that's what I love to listen to while I garden. Mm. It's just hands down my favorite show. But they kept making the joke of like, we've never restarted an episode, but should we restart this episode? <laughs> should we restart this episode? No, just kidding. So I got another ghost about this story. Oh, I love it. So this is literally and truly, I'm not giving you any history. I'm just giving you ghosts. It's going to probably be a little short, but uh, I think it'll be fun. Hmm. Let's let's go on the ride. Let's check out the mini ghosts of a hotel. Pop into each room. See how they're doing. I'm ready. Blinner Hassett Hotel in Parkersburg, West Virginia. It's incredibly haunted. Boasts at least 13 ghosts. Not the movie. Though I'm sure sometimes it's on TV in one hotel room at least. But they have at least 13 ghosts. Okay. Now, this hotel was built in 1889 by Colonel William Chancellor and is still open and operating today. With how long it's been operating and things have happened to it throughout history. Fire, floods, damage, famine, bears. Oh, my. Not all that. But, like, fires, floods, damage. And it's a hotel. People die in hotels. I'm not getting into that. But with all that history, of course, there's going to be some ghosts. So let's meet our ghosts. Come on down, ghosts. Whatever that game show music is that I'll choose to put in here. Number one, Colonel William Chancellor himself, the man who created the hotel. Of course, he's still hanging around. He's seen on the second floor. And you usually know that he's around you when you get a strong stench of cigar smoke. Mm. number two we have elevator lady ding ding that was supposed to be an elevator so i saw the way you immediately like cringed with regret to yourself <laughs> after you're like ding ding and then your face was like mm, no <laughs> oh no can we start this episode over <laughs> i'm sarah <laughs> i'm stephanie and this has been Leslie. Leslie. <laughs> Leslie time stories. Elevator lady. She walks into the elevator and then she disappears. That's her whole thing? Hey. The setup for that was longer than her story. Yes, uh, that's her thing. There's one story that says a new postman who had never delivered mail to the hotel before comes in, says, where should I go? The doorman says, oh, you just take the elevator over there. It'll take you down two flights. I'll meet you down there. So he walks to the elevator, and then the doorman, like, takes the stairs, goes down, meets the postman. When he meets the postman, the postman goes, is this place haunted? (laughs) Because as the postman was walking towards the elevator, he caught the tail end of a woman walking into the elevator, and he's like, oh, hold the doors. And he catches the door, and the door pops open. And there's nobody in there. And there's no one there. Ding, ding. Ding ding. <laughs> <sighs>
Got it. I turned it back around. Number three. Who's that woman in the window? There's a woman in the window. Ding, ding. Ding, ding. <laughs> I tried to make it like, uh, what's that song? Who's that pussycat in the... No. Something in the window. I just know doggy in the window. How much is that doggy in the That's window? That's it. That's where I was going. <laughs> what's that song? It's like, who's that pussy in the window? <laughs> <laughs> how much is that doggy in the window oh that's the one how much is that woman in the window only to shake that ass on it right now <laughs> what is it it's that like wet ass pussy in the window or like what <laughs> wet ass pussy in the window <laughs> I do hope that pussy for sale <laughs> We're only on number three. I still have seven more to go. <laughs> Woman in the window. There's a door on the hotel that is facing 4th Street that now serves no purpose. But in 1899, when the hotel was opened, that was the door to the gentleman's cigar stand and smoking lounge. Now, if you look up, you can occasionally see the white, expressionless face of a woman surrounded by bright, fiery red hair just looking at you in a window or in a window there's just a face there (laughs) you close your eyes you close your eyes and she's there no you look over and you catch her in the window of the door okay and she's just looking at you sure number four it's multiple just shadow figures there's shadow figures everywhere you got shadow figures in the basement you You got got your shadow you got your basement shadow figures you You got got your your laundry shadow figures you got your your attic shadow figures yeah you got they're all over the place you get your elevated shadow figures i mean you turn to the right shadow figure turn to the left shadow figure you try to go to the bathroom shadow figure (laughs) all there number five just a good old man with a bowler hat yeah sure uh, he's seen in room 409. Now, if you do research, a.k.a. a Google search on this hotel, you'll see a lot of people talk about 409. Room 409 is the most haunted room in the hotel. If you add those numbers together, they make 13. I know. Stephen King wrote a book about it. It's a short story. And then they made a movie with John Cusack. I know. I saw it. I saw it in theaters. Me too. Aww. Samuel L. Jackson, too. Who is that man with the bowler hat in the window? Uh, in the suite in 409. 409. Most haunted room in the hotel. Mm -hmm. That's what everyone says. It's also the only two-story suite in the hotel. So, a little big deal. It's said that he moves the furniture. He makes loud noises. Uh, One guest stayed in room 407, right next to room 409, and he was kept up all night by the sound of a loud crowd having a party in the room next to him. Mm -hmm. When he went down and talked to the front desk receptionist the next morning to complain, she told him, but sir, you were the only one on that entire floor. Another night, a woman that stayed in room 409 said that the bowler hat man held her down on her bed by her neck one morning. Which I don't know about you, but that sounds like sleep paralysis. I don't really, I don't understand sleep paralysis. It's a trick of the mind. I don't have it, I guess. I don't sleep on my back because I'm scared of sleep paralysis. Because sleep paralysis happens to people a lot when they sleep on their back is that what it is so what it is is essentially when you go to sleep your brain shuts off it's supposed to shut off all of the nerves to make your body move but it's still doing things and it's moving yeah yeah. so sleep paralysis is when you're in that in-between state between fully waking up and having control of your limbs and being cognizant 
but not having control of your limbs because your brain hasn't connected those neurons yet. Because your brain, yeah, shuts basically shuts off the moving shuts around the part of your body like when, you, when you sleep to keep you from sleepwalking and bumping yes. into shit and dying when you're sleeping. Exactly. So some people halfway wake up and that's when a lot of people experience sleep paralysis. They can't move their body and then you're still in this weird cognitive state where so you're half you dreaming. Shit. So you see yeah. things. And then a lot of people report not being able to breathe, feeling a heavy pressure on your chest. Well, if you're sleeping on your back, the weight of your body, if you aren't if your brain hasn't connected those neurons to make you have control of your limbs, then your body is breathing voluntarily on its own, which means it's literally working against the weight of itself. Mm -hmm. So it does feel harder to breathe. It's going to feel like you have a pressure on your chest. And it's just because you don't have full function of your body at that moment. Mm -hmm. And then you hallucinate. So, you know, they recommend don't sleep on your back. So Which, I don't. Yeah, I'm like I don't sleep on my back anyway, just because it's, it's not comfortable. I always sleep on my sides. But, but another also, reason is sleep paralysis. I was saying I also just have shitty sleep. <laughs> Girl, same. Where I'm like I'm my my cortisol doesn't shut off. My my body just keeps producing it and doesn't allow me to to get like a full yeah, I was sleep. Like, I don't think I sleep deep enough. No, yeah. not at all. There's I there's no way that I do. There's mm -hmm. no way I get enough sleep. Ghost number six. She's your friendly, helpful maid. Yeah, she is. She's been seen tidying up things around the lobby. Real cute. Your chair is bumping your mic and it's making a... Oh, thank you. Yeah. That was my chair. I wasn't farting. Number seven. She also farted. Shut up. <laughs> Sarah, oh, no! oh my God. I'll now have to put a sound effect there. Two farts at the same time. It's weird. It came out of both ends. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven. It's a little newsy, and not because he's rehearsing for the play. He's like, extra, extra, read, read all, all about, about it. it. We'd like to have rights, and we're going to unionize. It's a young boy dressed in 1920s newsboy attire, seen running around the kitchen trying to peddle his wares and stealing food. I added that last part. They just see him around the kitchen, but mm. I assume he's screaming at people, singing, dancing. Basically the whole musical, but it's a one-child show. Sure. One ghost show. Number eight, you just got kids in general, which is scary, girl. You see kids, you hear them running up and down the hallway, you hear them screaming. Most notably, people report seeing a young boy riding a tricycle down the hallway, mm -hmm. which, uh, shining much. Mm. Number nine, one grumpy old man. Just one? Just one. The other 11 are in another the hotel. <laughs> They're sequestered until, until They're the end of the trial. Uh, one grumpy old man. Guests have reported waking up to an old man sitting at the foot of their bed, just glaring at them. Nope. One guest reported seeing Absolutely the old not. man glaring at him, and the old man exclaimed, "I was here first Did before he... disappearing." Stop. <laughs> Is this another one of your made-up ones, like no, the sad face? No, that one's real. That was in the story. <laughs> I'm like the boy who cried wolf. You're never going to believe me. I know. Yeah, the old man glared at him and exclaimed, I was here first, and then proceeded to disappear. Number 10, last but not least of the ghosts that I'll tell you about, is known as the kissing bandit. And it's a ghost that doesn't know what consent is. Stop. This ghost will kiss the face of a female guest while they're sleeping. It's sometimes described as a shower of kisses. 
which makes me wonder, like, is it wet? Like, do you wake up in the morning and you're like, what is this? Is this ghost slobber? I don't want to be kissed by a ghost in my sleep. I'm not that lonely. <laughs> not anymore. Err. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> move over, John Wayne Gacy man again. Yeah, I had to move him into the guest room. <laughs> Charlie didn't like having him in the real room. I don't understand why. He's a great coat He's rack. jealous. I know. He's <laughs> always been jealous. But what me and that John Wayne Gacy mannequin have is just more years of memories. Charlie can never replace that. <laughs> I swear one time I saw him trying to throw it down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> if you went back and you listened from the beginning, you, you would, would understand that joke. I don't That's know. a long running joke. I mean, joke. if you've been with us since the beginning, you might not remember, but it's a good joke. It's it, from it, early. You should you should start over. You should listen from the beginning episode again. Episode four, fecal forgery and fort frustrations. That's where that's from. All in all, the Blenner Hassett Hotel, still open, still running. They have a 4.5 star rating on TripAdvisor. Yeah, they do. And it's not, it's like $131 a night. And they hold ghost tours mm-hmm. once a year. Yeah, they do. And that's the Blenner Hassett Hotel and its ghosts. I love that. Ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, uh, what faction of Satanic Panic are you talking about this week? So today we're just really going to explore Satanic Panic a little more. And then we're going to talk about some of the legal. What's the word I want? I don't want to say consequences, but like some of Mm. the the things that happened because of Satanic Panic. Okay. So we talked about uh, false memory last week. That was a concept I wanted to, to introduce and how it can lead into different moral panics that turn into like just outrageous things that happen. And we also talked about the book Michelle Remembers, which Michelle Remembers came out in 1980. And like I said, that was a big push for like what made people so upset and start, you know, really like, oh my God, it's how ha- like it's happening. The Satanists are corrupting our children. It's happening. Yeah. So nearly every aspect of the ritual abuse is controversial that we've talked about with satanic ritual abuse, including its definition, the source of the allegations and proof thereof or lack thereof, (laughs) testimonies of alleged victims and court cases involving the allegations in criminal investigations. The panic affected lawyers, therapists, and social workers who handled allegations of child sexual abuse. Mm. Allegations initially brought together widely dissimilar groups, including religious fundamentalists, police investigators, child advocates, therapists, and clients in psychotherapy. The term satanic abuse was more common early on. This later became satanic ritual abuse and further secularized into simply ritual abuse. But over time, the the accusations became more associated with uh, dissociative identity disorder, which Back in the time was more commonly referred to multiple personality as multiple personality disorder uh, and anti-government conspiracy theories. So basically a lot of the people who claimed to have these memories, who alleged to have these these repressed memories that they unlocked, um, a lot of those were people with dissociative identity disorder. Interesting. So people who... I don't want to say it's a very poorly understood 
disorder and especially like the nomenclature of multiple personality disorder is really oversimplified like the way that we've seen it on tv right if you ever i don't know if you ever saw that movie was it not splice split i did not yeah but i watched uh united states of Terra. right i couldn't watch united states of Terra because of that i was like this is all bullshit and this is not really how this works mm-hmm. um but yes it's a similar thing where it's like i'm a writer in this case m night Shyamalan instead of diablo cody and this is how i'm gonna write what would happen what i think what would happen is. with a yeah. person with multiple personality disorder sure that's also why over time that title of it has been changed because calling it multiple personality disorder has this certain connotation yeah and how people understand it because of what they've seen on tv but it's it's really complex and there's a lot more to it than like they just have these different personalities and they each one have a name and none of them remember what the other person remembers and like they all have their own thing yeah yeah that is how it's understood a lot by layman people, but that's not really what it is. But people who have dissociative identity disorder are people who, again, are more susceptible to false memory implantation. And they are also people more likely to report some sort of ritualistic abuse. Mm, interesting. Initial interest arose via the publicity campaign of Pazder's 1980 book, Michelle Remembers, and it was sustained and popularized throughout the decade by coverage of the McMartin preschool trial, which we're going to talk a little bit about, testimonials, symptom lists, rumors, and techniques to investigate or undercover memories of SRA, which is satanic ritual abuse, were disseminated through professional, popular, and religious conferences, as well as through talk shows, sustaining and further spreading the moral panic throughout the United States and beyond. In some cases, allegations resulted in criminal trials with varying results. After seven years in court, the McMartin trial resulted in no convictions for any of the accused, while other cases resulted in lengthy sentences, some of which were later reversed, but some which were not. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's not good. No. Scholarly interest in the topic slowly built, eventually resulting in the conclusion that the phenomenon was a moral panic, which, as one of the researchers put it in 2017, involved... Hundreds of accusations that devil-worshipping pedophiles were operating America's white, middle-class suburban daycare centers. Now it's the government, but okay. They moved on up. You are not wrong. So Satanic Panic, while this was a big thing in the 80s, it is something that has seen a big resurgence with QAnon. QAnon. Yes. QAnon. Which, if you remember, I talked about QAnon quite some time ago. But even if you've never heard me talk about QAnon, just QAnon in general. That's a big part of their Ugh. belief system is that there's this satanic, um, you know, child abusing cabal that is draining children of their blood so they can bathe in it and live forever. Right. And that that's who rules the government. And, you but know, Trump isn't one of them. Those things are so those are tied together. It's the moral panic, the satanic panic, like tied up with this strong evangelical influence and this strong anti-government conspiracy they all kind of like bleed into each other gross but it's also very i mean this is this moral panic is older than america but i'm like but that whole everything about QAnon, i think that's what's so frustrating about it is like it's so american 
that sort of like belief system with all those things like tying into one another. So now discredited, Michelle Remembers came out in the 1980s and even and came out in 1980. And even though now it is looked back on as like being debunked, like I said, in the early 80s, it was for people, it was like, this is eye opening. Yeah. We have to look into this. We have to we have to take care of the children. We have to look into ritual abuse. So in the early 80s, during the implementation of mandatory reporting laws, which um, if you aren't familiar with those, that's where like if a teacher or someone who works with kids um, sees evidence of child abuse, they are required by law to report that abuse, to report that this child is in danger. Um, So that was just starting in the early 80s. So that already saw a large increase in child protection investigations in the United States, Britain, and other developed countries, along with heightened public awareness of child abuse, which I also really want to stress that, like, we'll get into this, but child abuse is a very, obviously, very real, very huge problem, and there should be attention brought to it, and it should be something that we fucking work really hard to deal with and eradicate and take seriously. But we can't even protect them when they're in school. So you really think America's going to gonna do a good job about protecting them when they are in an abusive situation? But I think to me, that's what makes these false allegations so much more insidious is that they take away the respect and the resources that are required to investigate child abuse. Yes. And that, to me, is, like, the absolute worst part. So the investigation of incest allegations in California was also changed, which cases led by social workers who used leading and coercive interviewing techniques that had been avoided by police investigators. Such changes in the prosecution of cases of alleged incest resulted in an increase in confessions by fathers in exchange for plea bargains. Oh. Right. That's not a confession. Right. Shortly thereafter, some children in child protection cases began making allegations of horrific physical and sexual abuse by caregivers within organized rituals claiming sexual abuse in satanic rituals and the use of satanic symbols. These cases garnered the label satanic ritual abuse both in the media and among professionals. Like there were psychologists who ascribed to this. And one of those psychologists is Barbara Snow, who I mentioned in the last episode, who that became like their specialty was helping people recovering from repressed memories and specifically repressed memories of satanic ritual abuse. She was like, oh, this is it. This is my calling. Childhood memories of similar abuse began to appear in the psychotherapy sessions of adults. So adults who were remembering these things that happened to them as children. Yeah. In 1983, charges were laid in the McMartin preschool trial. A major case in California, which received attention throughout the United States and contained allegations of satanic ritual abuse. The case caused tremendous polarization in how to interpret the available evidence. Mm. Shortly afterward, more than 100 preschools across the country became the object of similar sensationalist allegations, which were eagerly and uncritically reported by the media. Throughout the McMartin trial, media coverage of defendants Peggy McMartin and Ray Bucky was unrelentingly negative, focusing only on statements by the prosecution. Michelle Smith and other alleged victims met with parents, which Michelle Smith is who wrote Michelle Remembers, 
Michelle Smith and other alleged survivors met with parents involved in the trial, and it is believed that they influenced testimony against the accused. Wow. Wow. Key McFarlane, a social worker employed by the Children's Institute International, developed a new way to interrogate children with anatomically correct dolls and use them in an effort to assist disclosures of abuse with the McMartin children. So people... I remember these jokes were kind of popular in the 90s, but Show we still hear it every now and then. You. Yes. But those, if they had time to talk to the kids beforehand, right? They were like, did they ever touch you here? Did they ever touch you? Which we talked about that leading yep. versus like asking what happened, but like planting those little things of, is this what happened? Yeah. Okay. Then you need to tell them that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. After asking the children to point to places on the dolls where they had allegedly been touched and asking leading questions, McFarlane diagnosed sexual abuse in virtually all of the children in this play- in this preschool of the McMartin children. It's like that episode of South Park where the doctor comes in and diagnoses all of them with ADHD yeah. and puts all of them on Ritalin just to make money. She coerced disclosures by using lengthy interviews that rewarded discussions of abuse and punished denials. So wow. if they said nothing happened, like she would... They got in trouble. Get, right. The trial testimony that resulted from such methods was often contradictory and vague on all details, except for the assertion that the abuse had, had occurred. Although the initial charges in the McMartin case featured allegations of satanic abuse and a vast conspiracy... These features were dropped relatively early in the trial, and prosecution continued only for non-ritual allegations of child abuse against only two defendants. After three years of testimony, McMartin and Bucky were acquitted on 52 of 65 counts, and the jury was deadlocked on the remaining 13 charges against Bucky. Wow. With 11 out of 13 jurors choosing not guilty. Wow. Bucky was recharged two years later and released without conviction. (sighs) That's too long, though. Too long. So satanic ritual abuse brought together several groups normally unlikely to associate, including psychotherapists, self-help groups, religious fundamentalists, and law enforcement. Initial accusations were made in the context of the rising political power of the conservative Christianity movement within the united states and religious fundamentalists enthusiastically promoted rumors of sra of course psychotherapists who were actively christian advocated for the diagnosis of dissociative identity disorder soon after accounts similar to michelle remembers began to appear and some therapists believing the alter egos of some patients were the result of demonic possession stop it Protestantism was instrumental in starting, spreading, and maintaining rumors through sermons about the dangers of SRA. Lectures by purported experts and prayer sessions, including showings of the 1987 Herrero Rivera television special. He did a whole special on it in 1987, which he later apologized for in the 2000s because he was like, I was wrong. Secular proponents appeared and child protection workers became significantly involved. Law enforcement trainers, many themselves strongly religious, became strong promoters of the claims and self-described experts of the topic. Their involvement in child sexual abuse cases produced 
more allegations of SRA. Of course. Adding credibility to the phenomenon. As the explanations for SRA were distanced from evangelical Christianity and associated with survivor groups, the motivations ascribed to the purported Satanists shifted from combating a religious nemesis to mind control and abuse as an end to itself. So it stopped being they're abusing children for Satan and just like they're abusing children because they're evil. Yeah. Clinicians, psychotherapists, and social workers documented clients with alleged histories of SRA, though the claims of therapists were unsubstantiated beyond the testimonies of their clients. So, like I said, it spread. It was a big deal in the U.S., um, but it was not only in the United States. Like, this started to happen all over um the, you know, the all world. over the world. In 1986, the largest symposium of child abuse in history was held in Australia with addresses by vocal SRA advocates, Key McFarlane, Roland Summit, Astrid Heppenhall, Heeker, and David Finkelhor. In 1987, writings on the phenomenon appeared in the United Kingdom, along with incidents featuring broadly similar accusations, such as the Cleveland child abuse scandal, Allegations of SRA in Nottingham resulted to the British McMartin, so their Brit version, their version of the McMartin trials, yep. um, and uh, uh, advised by part by a British journalist, Tim Tate's work on the subject, along with the list of indicators, American conference speakers, pamphlets, source materials, consultants, vocabulary regarding SRA, and allegedly funding were imported, which promoted the identification and counseling of British SRA allegations. In 1989, San Francisco police detective Sandy Gallant gave an interview with a newspaper in the United Kingdom. At the same time, several other therapists toured the country giving talks on SRA, and shortly thereafter, SRA cases occurred in Orkney, Rochdale, London, and Nottingham. What a coincidence! In 1992, charges were laid in the Martinsville satanic sex scandal. Charges were overturned in 1995 on the grounds of improper interviewing of children. There was a wave of SRA accusations appearing in New Zealand and Norway in 1991 and 1992. Uh, so this went on for over a decade. Oh, yeah. Media coverage of SRA began to turn negative by 1987 as when it started to slow down, but it really didn't you know, stop until like the mid to late 90s. But the panic ended between 1992 and 95. The release of an HBO made for TV movie called Indictment, the McMartin trial <laughs> in 1995 recast Ray Bucky as a victim of the overzealous prosecution rather than an abusive predator and marked a watershed change in public perceptions of satanic ritual abuse accusations. You just needed a good HBO doc. In 1995, Geraldo Rivera issued an apology for his 1987 television special, which he had focused on the alleged satanic ritual abuse cults. By 2003, allegations of ritual abuse were met with great skepticism, and belief in SRA was no longer considered mainstream in professional circles. Although the sexual abuse of children is a real and serious problem, yes. allegations of SRA were essentially considered false. Reasons for the collapse of the phenomenon include the collapse of the criminal prosecution against alleged abusers, a growing number of scholars, officials, and reporters questioning the reality of the accusations, and a variety of successful lawsuits against mental health professionals. Astrophysicist and astrobiologist Carl Sagan devoted an entire chapter of his last book, 
The Demon Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark, to a critique of claims of recovered memories of UFO abductions and satanic ritual abuse, and cited material from the newsletter of the False Memory Syndrome Foundation, which was founded by two parents who their adult daughter, after going to recovered memory therapy, recovered memories of them abusing her and being in a cult. Uh, and they were like, we didn't, and <laughs> we didn't. Uh, they founded the recovered, mem- the false memory syndrome foundation to like wow. help yeah. fight therapists who use recovered memory therapy. Yeah. Some feminist critiques of the SRA diagnosis maintained that in in the course of attempting to purge society of evil, the panic of the 80s and 90s obscured real child abuse issues, a concern echoed by Gary Clapton. Yes. In England, the SRA panic diverted resources and attention from proven abuse cases. This resulted in a hierarchy of abuse in which SRA was considered the most serious form physical and sexual abuse being minimized or even marginalized and quote mere physical abuse no longer worthy of intervention mere 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 physical abuse Mm -hmm. in addition a criticism of sra investigation increased the focus by social workers on sra resulted in a large loss of of credibility to the profession SRA, with its sensational makeup of many victims abused by many victimizers, ended up robbing the far more common and proven issue of incest, of much, of much of its societal significance. The National Center of Abuse for Neglect derived the term religious abuse to describe exorcism, poisoning, and drowning of children in a non-satanic ritual abuse setting in order to avoid confusion with satanic ritual abuse. Of course. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Some people still believe there is credence to the allegations of SRA and continue to discuss the topic. Publications by Kathy O'Brien claiming SRA were the result of government programs, specifically the Central Intelligence Agency's Project MKUltra, which I talked about in an earlier episode, and MKUltra was real, to produce Manchurian candidate-style mind control in young children were picked up by conspiracy theorists, linking belief in the SRA with claims of government conspiracies. In the book, which, by the way, I literally added this book to my Amazon cart after reading this. You're like, I gotta know this. Uh, in the book, mistakes were made, but not by me. <laughs> I love it. That's perfect. I was like, I got to read this book. I mean, yeah, I'm hooked. Authors Carol Tavris and Elliot Aronson cite ongoing belief in the SRA phenomenon, despite a complete lack of evidence as demonstration of the confirmation bias in its believers. Oh my gosh. It further points out that the lack of evidence is actually considered by believers in SRA as more as evidence. More evidence demonstrating how clever and evil the cult leaders were. Stop it. They were eating those babies, bones and all. Stop it. A Salt Lake City therapist, Barbara Snow, was put on probation in 2008 for planting false memories of satanic abuse in patients. She was put on probation, I want to say. That's it. Because today, still in 2022... Barbara Snow is a practicing therapist based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. What? Snow, who was a central figure in the satanic ritual abuse moral panic in Utah in the late 80s and early 90s. In 2008, she was placed on probation for violating codes of ethics and professional conduct. 
Snow was the therapist at the center of a high profile and controversial um, abuse case in 1987. And she stayed in the public spotlight because she became kind of an expert on the topic. Like a figure, yeah. Yes. In the summer of 1985, a resident of Lehigh, Utah, uh, Sheila Bowers, took her children to see Barbara Snow, who, and this is still in the 80s, 1985, who divulged that they had been sexually abused by their babysitter, the teenage daughter of a local LDS church bishop. Mm. Other parents who had their children babysat by the same sitter took their children to see Barbara Snow oh, at therapy. no. These children also began to disclose sexual abuse by others, and eventually around 40 adults were accused of being satanic ritual abusers of children. The Utah County Sheriff's Office and Utah Attorney General's Office began an extensive two-and-a-half-year investigation. The bishop's children were taken away by family services, but returned in several weeks after no evidence of harm was discovered. What a waste of money and resources. No. After the investigation, a Lehigh resident named Alan Hadfield was the only person to be charged with abuse. Before the trial of Hadfield, Snow resigned from her position at the Intermountain Sexual Abuse Treatment Center amid controversy over her interviewing methods and opened her own private practice in Salt Lake City. There it is. During the investigation, law enforcement personnel deliberately fed false information to Snow, and that information would subsequently show up in the children's testimony. Oh, at the the trial of a Utah County chief deputy attorney testified that he observed Snow coaching children with a two-way mirror. I was appalled, said the deputy attorney. Snow had so conditioned those children that I had serious concern about using them as witnesses in cases. Snow countered that as a therapist, not a law enforcement investigator, she needed to create an environment where hesitant children who might have been threatened to be silent could feel comfortable disclosing abuse. Judy Pugh, a colleague of Snow's at the Intermountain Sexual Abuse Treatment Center, told the court that she was concerned about how children's stories would homogeneously emerge after interviews with Snow, meaning all of their stories seemed to sound exactly the same. Mm -hmm. One 10-year-old girl testified that Snow asked her as many as 50 times in one session if Hadfield had ever touched her and that she finally relented when she became afraid that Snow would yell at her if she told her otherwise. (sighs) Stephen Golding, the director of clinical psychology at the University of Utah, testified that Snow's techniques were subtly coercive and highly questionable. There were several inconsistencies in the testimonies of the children. On April 6th, the children accused Hadfield of fondling them as they watched a television program. However, Telephone records showed that Hadfield was on the phone with Snow at the time. Oh, my God. That the abuse supposedly occurred. Wow. The children said their father promised to buy them a toy four-wheeler for not revealing the abuse. But the receipts showed that the toy was purchased before the supposed abuse ever occurred. Hadfield was convicted by an eight-member jury on December 19, 1987. What? And the judge sentenced Hadfield to six months in the Utah County Jail. The court placed an order that barred gay Hadfield, the mother, from hiring Snow as their therapist. 
In 2002, Snow wrote an op-ed in the Desert News defending her actions, writing, Sexual predators are master manipulators. We cannot have it both ways. We cannot decry children uh, uh, child sexual abuse publicly and then tolerate it privately. If the offender, this is the worst part, is when you're like, some of what you say is right, and that's what makes it so awful, because most of what you say is wrong. If the offender is white, upper class, middle, uh, or white, upper middle class member of our religious congregation. This is is the last part I will add. It's about her probation. So Uh, in 2008, Snow agreed to probation by the Utah Division of Occupational and Professional Licensing to avoid protracted litigation for violating the Utah Codes of Professional Conduct and Ethical Principles defined by the National Association of Social Workers. The state alleged that Snow had convinced her own relatives that they were victims of satanic ritual abuse and military testing, and that Snow provided fabricated notes from her session. Snow admitted to destroying her relative's computer with a baseball bat. What? She's crazy. She is still practicing therapy in Salt Lake City, Utah. So don't go see her. (laughs) Please don't go see her. In the end, there were... Literally hundreds, hundreds of investigations into, we had a lot of them specifically into daycares here in the United States that went on for years and years, tons of litigation, tons of people going to court, millions of tax dollars spent. Spent. Hours spent. absolutely nothing, which is awful. The case that I um, mentioned earlier, there's the McMartin case. And the other is the Kern County trials. The McMartin preschool trial was a daycare sexual abuse case in the 80s prosecuted by Los Angeles. There was a lot of them specifically in California. But I remember I was like, most of them ended up being overturned and people got their cases put away and it was fine. But in the Kern County child abuse cases that started, uh, it was part of the daycare sexual abuse hysteria of the 80s. The cases involved allegations of satanic ritual abuse by a sex ring against as many as 60 children who testified that they had been abused. At least 36 people were convicted and most of them spent years in prison. 34 of the 36 convictions were overturned on appeal. What? The district attorney responsible for the convictions was Ed Jagels, who was sued by at least one of those convictions that was overturned. He remained in office until 2009. What? Two of the convicted individuals were unable to prove their innocence because they died in prison. (gasps) Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So Satanic Panic, like we said, is making an ugly rearing of its head again with the popularity of QAnon, which isn't what it was in 2016, but it is still going. People are still following this, you know, cabal of Satanic child abusers. Barbara Snow is still a practicing therapist in Salt Lake City, Utah. And all of this still, like, as wild as this is to hear about, this is all to set you up for what I'm talking about in the next two weeks. Ah, tune in next week for the beginning of a two-parter. Absolutely. Wow. That's right. Ooh, I'm panicked. 
Are you satanic panicked? I don't know. I think I'm manic panicked. So I got you um, the Telltale body spray from Girl in the Graveyard, but mm-hmm. one of the ones that I got from her also was satanic panic. And Mary Angela, I think, bought the satanic panic body spray. It smells Love pretty it. good. Love it's it. It's very fruity. It's great. But yeah, so wow. Puritanism wow. and American nationalism and anti Semitism and racism all mixed up together in this beautiful country of ours. So that's what I wanted to talk about with satanic panic and some of the disastrous results of moral panic in American society. That's scary, girl. Ooh. Yeah, it is. That's scary, girl. It is. And I bet you're dying to hear what I'm talking about next week. I really am, but I also, like, want to wait. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to tell you right now. Oh, all right. I mean, if you wanted to, I would, but I I wasn't planning on it. No, we'll wait. Just like you, listener, I will wait. All right. Well. I don't want to know the sex of the baby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. That's the only thing I thought of. I want to thank you for supporting our podcast. Thank you so much. If you have questions, comments, concerns, keep it if you to yourself. Anything you want to like talk to me about about this wild shit that happened, you know how to get to us. We're on Instagram. Follow us. Hopefully, by the time you hear this episode, we finally got a thousand followers. But if we didn't, bitch, follow us and tell your friends to follow us. Support our Patreon. We have tiers as low as one dollars a month. That's it. That's it. That's all the dollars. One doll here. But you can also support us for free. You can write to us, email us at deadtimestories with a Z at gmail.com. And as we always let you know, the best way you can support our show that costs you absolutely no money whatsoever is to give us a five-star review on the Apple Podcast Store, on Spotify, on SoundCloud, on Google Play, anywhere where you happen to listen to this podcast. If you could give us an awesome review and tell other people to listen to our show, we would greatly appreciate it. That'd be awesome. Yeah, it would, man. That's it. It'd be great. And we got to go because we're hungry. Seriously. I'm Stephanie. (laughs) I'm (laughs) Stephanie. God damn it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this has been Dead Time Stories. Thank you for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curtison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman.